We love a good fraud. At least, we love to see them exposed. It seems that every day, social media and the news are ablaze with stories of grifters and con artists. But there's something especially fascinating about the men and women who peddle their snake oil to society's upper crust. Think about the quote-unquote heiress who stands to reinvent the art world with other people's money. Or the startup genius with no resume or experience, but an army of angel investors. History is full of people who lied about their identities to gain access to society's elites. Some manifest entire personas and backstories. They live an elaborate lie, and if they do a good enough job, they stand to gain fame and fortune. Keep it going long enough, and they can even change history. And this isn't just a modern phenomenon. Long before there was Theranos or the Anna Delvey Foundation, there was the Count of Saint-Germain. During the 18th century, this enigmatic aristocrat was the talk of Parisian society and London high society and Viennese society and possibly India, Mexico, and Constantinople. He was a globe-trotting adventurer and a self-styled alchemist. Exactly where he came from, no one could say, but one commonly held belief was that he came from royalty. The stories that swirled about him were fantastical as they come. In some corners, people whispered that he was immortal. And the only thing more wild than those stories? The possibility that they were all true. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the Count of Saint-Germain, the famous wandering alchemist of the 18th century. Today, we'll discuss what we know about the famed historical figure by sticking to the more proven stories. But we'll look at some of the more outlandish claims about him, too. Next time, we'll parse fact from fiction as we expose the rumors, half-truths, and flat-out lies about Saint-Germain's life. First, we'll unpack the mystery of the Count's ancestry. Was he dethroned Spanish royalty or the long-lost heir to the doomed Rakotsi line? Second, we'll explore the Count's claims about being an immortal, ageless being. And finally, delve into some of the beliefs that circulated after his supposed death. Like the idea that Saint-Germain might be a mystical thought leader reincarnated over generations to guide humanity toward a better future. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Count of Saint-Germain was an enigma, a man from the 18th century who went by many names. In London, he was known as the Marquis of the Black Cross, in Holland as the Count Sermon, the Marquis of Montferrat in Venice, Chevalier Schooning in Pisa, and in Genoa, General Saltikoff. Well, some people thought the Count was an alchemist or the heir to the Spanish throne. King Louis XV thought he was a genius. Casanova called him a charlatan and a spy, while Frederick the Great described him as one of the most enigmatic personages of the 18th century. And then there was Napoleon, who was so suspicious, he commanded his librarians to compile a dossier on the count. If you'd like to read it, well, tough luck. It was mysteriously lost in a fire. Saint-Germain spoke the language of many countries, but felt at home in none. And though he's mentioned in the works of many influential people in history, practically none of his own writings have survived. As such, the Count is one of history's greatest mysteries. So who was he? Where did he come from? And what was his story? For as many times as those questions have been asked, definitive answers are hard to come by. The Count is a true enigma, partly because of his many aliases and partly because he liked it that way. Still, we do have some information about him, which is where we'll start. Most scholarly sources generally agree that the Count was likely born around the year 1710. Of his origins, he was said to be of either Italian, Spanish, or Polish descent, Some said he was a priest, others a musician, others a nobleman. No one could claim to know for certain, and anything the Count said had to be taken with a grain of salt. According to a German baron whose memoirs feature Saint-Germain, the Count alluded to his childhood in positive but vague terms. He described living on a vast estate in a land with beautiful weather, 
and yet he refused to tell anyone what country he grew up in. On occasion, he implied his mother was some kind of dethroned royalty. Beyond that, next to nothing is known about the first 30 years of Saint-Germain's life. While it's unclear whether or not he descended from royalty, nearly everyone who met him believed he came from wealth. And that's because the Count always traveled with servants. He dressed simply but stylishly, adorned with fineries and accessories that displayed his status. And he always seemed to have priceless gemstones. His watches, buckles, and even his snuff boxes were covered in diamonds. As for skills and talents, the Count possessed many. According to multiple sources, he was fluent in several languages, including English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French. It was also said he was musically talented. He could sing and compose. And he was so skilled on the violin, some suspected he was secretly a famous violinist. The most captivating part about Saint-Germain, though, was his personality. People couldn't get enough of him. Even Casanova, who called Saint-Germain a charlatan in his memoirs, wanted to have him over for dinner. And what a dinner guest he was. The Count loved to entertain and had a few party tricks up his sleeve that he used to impress people. His most popular was riding with both hands at once, dashing out a love letter with one hand and inscribing a famous poem with the other. On top of his tricks, Saint-Germain seemed both well-educated and well-read. He possessed vast knowledge on a wide breadth of topics, and this made him an excellent conversationalist. He was someone people wanted to be around, even if they couldn't believe half of what he said. Based on accounts from the likes of Casanova to Frederick the Great, the thing most people agreed on regarding Saint-Germain was this. He loved to talk, and his favorite subject, himself. Even those who liked the Count admitted he was somewhat vain. He told story after story of daring feats in foreign lands, with details sprinkled in that were too outlandish to believe. One of the earliest mentions of him came from famous English writer Horace Walpole in 1745. According to him, Saint-Germain had been in England for approximately two years. The Count claimed he'd recently traveled to Asia, where he spent time in the court of the Shah of Persia and studied philosophy and mysticism in a monastery in the mountains. The stories were told enthusiastically and always seemed full of thrilling feats and important people. And though they could come off as too good to be true, the Count's lifestyle seemed to back up his claims. Throughout his life, Saint-Germain mingled seamlessly with the upper crust of society in every country he visited. Dukes, generals, and even kings enjoyed his company he always seemed to find his way into influential figures' inner circles. This is exactly how he found himself embroiled in his first historic scandal. In the fall of 1745, Charles Edward Stuart, grandson of deposed King James II, invaded England with an army of Scottish devotees. The Scots were eager to see a Jacobite on the throne, and Stuart fit the bill perfectly. 
By this point, the Count of Saint-Germain was around 35 and had been in London for about two years. And though he'd made friends in high places, he'd made some enemies too. Rumor has it the Count was caught in a love triangle involving a mystery woman and Frederick Louis, Prince of Wales, heir apparent to the British throne. Jealous of the charismatic Count stealing the affections of his lady love, the prince conspired to get his rival out of the way. Frederick reportedly forged a letter to Saint-Germain, pretending to be Charles Edward Stuart. In it, he thanked the Count for his loyalty, implying that he'd assisted Charles' efforts to overthrow the monarch. The prince snuck the letter into Saint-Germain's pocket, then reported him to a messenger for the king. The Count was immediately taken in for questioning, but according to a letter from Sir Horace Walpole, he didn't take the accusation very seriously. He claimed complete innocence, and in true Saint-Germain fashion, refused to tell the interrogators anything about himself. The only thing he would say was that Saint-Germain was not his real name. Anyone else in this position likely would have landed themselves on the chopping block. But this is where Saint-Germain's infamous charm proved useful. Despite not answering their questions, Walpole writes that the Count convinced his interrogators that he'd been framed. He was immediately released. What's more, his captors were so taken with him, Saint-Germain was invited to dinner by an English lord identified only by the letter H. After the fake letter scandal, people started asking questions. Who was this mysterious man? And where did his riches come from? The shadowy count had been thrust into the limelight again, and it wouldn't be the last time. Coming up, Saint-Germain bites off more than he can chew. Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen for free only on Spotify. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. Now, back to the story. In 1745, Saint-Germain got himself into a lick of trouble. 
the Count, who was then in his mid-30s, narrowly escaped being charged with treason as a result of some royal drama involving Frederick, Prince of Wales. The incident forced Saint-Germain into the public view, and after talking his way out of jail, rumors about the Count spread through London's gossip mills like wildfire. People whispered that Saint-Germain had gotten his money from a woman he married in Mexico. They claimed he'd stolen her jewels and fled to Constantinople, and the rumors only grew from there. Around this point, the Count of Saint-Germain pretty much drops off the map for about 10 years. We don't know what he was up to exactly, but according to a letter he wrote to a friend, Saint-Germain claimed to have made two trips to India during this time. On those trips, the Count supposedly did a great many impressive and courageous things, like being Robert Clive's travel companion. A famous explorer and conqueror, Clive was credited with establishing the first foothold of the British Empire in India. And that's not the half of it. Saint-Germain wrote that during his trips to India, he learned of an alchemical method to purify gemstones. He claimed that he could take a diamond with imperfections, melt it down, combine it with others, and reform it into one perfect stone. We should mention here that some other accounts place Saint-Germain in Vienna rather than India around this time. This lines up somewhat better with what we know because it was in Vienna that he met the Marshal de Belleisle. Belleisle was a French statesman who'd made a name for himself as a general. He was part of the court of French King Louis XV and was influential on the world stage. He reportedly played a key role in getting Charles VII elected as the Holy Roman Emperor in 1742. Though we're not exactly sure when the Count and Belleisle met, we do know they hit it off. And around 1757, they were close enough that Saint-Germain accompanied Belleisle back to France. When they arrived, the Count's new friend introduced him to the creme de la creme of French society. As usual, Saint-Germain set about dazzling the French court with extravagant gifts and stories. He frequented dinner parties throughout Paris, but famously declined to eat or drink alcohol at these gatherings. Instead, he would sip on a special tea he made himself, all the while regaling listeners with tales about his life. But entertainment wasn't all the Count had to offer. In addition to his alchemy skills, the Count had learned some secrets about the world of textiles, too. Letters from the time assert he had developed a method of dyeing silk and wool, producing incredibly vibrant colors using cheap materials. The French aristocracy fell in love with the eye-catching fabrics. And not just the upper class. Pretty much all of France was abuzz with talk of Saint-Germain's dyes and diamonds. But soon, a new rumor started to spread that overshadowed all the rest people were noticing that the Count didn't seem to age. This idea seems to have been sparked by the Count's deep knowledge of ancient history. 
Somewhere between performing and sipping his mystery tea, he would tell long stories featuring prominent historical figures. The betrayal of Julius Caesar, the reign of Cleopatra, even the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Count would describe the events in such detail you'd think he'd been there himself. When people tried to fact-check him about the stories and their dates, he was almost always correct. And when anyone asked the Count if he'd been present at any of the events, he wouldn't confirm nor deny. He'd simply give a playful smile and say, I'm much older than I look. Well, one famous incident seemed to seal the deal for people. Around the late 1750s or early 1760s, Saint-Germain happened to run into an old countess named Madame de Gergy. When the elderly woman laid eyes on him, she was amazed. She told him that nearly 50 years ago, while her husband served as an ambassador in Venice, she'd met a man who looked exactly like him. Seeing him in Paris now, looking not a day older, she assumed the Count was the son of the man she knew. But Saint-Germain was quick to inform her that it was he whom she'd met in Venice all those years ago. This story traveled fast. Even the famous Madame de Pompidou, the French king's well-known mistress, asked Saint-Germain if what he told de Gergy was true. When confronted, the Count stuck to his story. Madame de Pompidou challenged him, pointing out that this would make him over a hundred years old. The Count allegedly replied, That is not impossible, but as I admit, it's even more possible that the revered lady is talking nonsense. Throughout his life, Saint-Germain continued to fuel rumors that he didn't age. Whether she believed it or not, Madame de Pompidou took an immediate liking to the Count, and this led her to facilitate one of the most important introductions of his life. Rumor had it King Louis XV had grown bored with his life, and Pompidou was constantly looking for ways to occupy him. She needed something to cheer the king up, and an ageless traveling performer and alchemist seemed like just the ticket. Pompidou was right. Saint-Germain and King Louis hit it off right away. The royal was fascinated by the Count, particularly his knowledge of the purification of gemstones, which, based on the accounts of the people present, were quite impressive. According to Madame de Pompidou's lady-in-waiting, the king possessed a large but flawed diamond. A jeweler had valued it at 6,000 francs, which disappointed him. If only he could get rid of the flaw, the king was convinced it would be worth twice as much. When he heard about the faulty stone, Saint-Germain offered to fix it. He promised the king that if he ran his alchemy process on it, he could rid the diamond of its imperfection in four weeks. Intrigued, the king agreed. A month later, when Saint-Germain returned the diamond, Louis again called the jeweler to his castle. After the man examined the stone, he nodded his approval and reportedly offered 10,000 francs for it. The king was thrilled. After that, King Louis became a firm believer in the mystical powers of Saint-Germain. 
the Count even went on to convince him that his secret cheap method of dyeing fabrics could put France on the map. The king gave Saint-Germain a room in his grand palace, the Chateau de Chambord, so he could perfect his process of dyeing fabrics and purifying diamonds. This became a lifelong passion for the Count, and he spent the rest of his days seeking out rich patrons to finance his experiments. From 1757 to 1760, Saint-Germain enjoyed the favor of the king, as well as general fame throughout French society. With that came prestige and political influence. The Count was riding high before he flew a bit too close to the sun. By 1759, England and France had been at war in the American colonies for several years. Both countries felt a growing need to reestablish peace, but negotiations had failed, and so the war raged on. By early 1760, the king and several members of the court, the Marchand de Belle-Ile and Madame de Pompidou in particular, had grown tired of the conflict. They reportedly felt the French ambassador wasn't trying hard enough to negotiate peace. This is where the count came in. Though never officially confirmed, sources claim that King Louis and the Marshal de Belle-Ile asked Saint-Germain to journey to The Hague in Holland. Now that's where negotiations between European countries often took place. They reportedly wanted him to organize a peace deal outside of the official diplomatic channels. Ever the social climber, Saint-Germain was likely thrilled to be considered for such a prestigious mission. Some sources even claim he suggested it himself. The Count, by then in his 50s, arrived in Holland in February of 1760. Publicly, his reason for being there was to organize a loan for France. But secretly, Saint-Germain reached out to the English ambassador to discuss a treaty. The ambassador was understandably suspicious. Who was this strange man who claimed to speak on behalf of the French king? To prove his credibility, Saint-Germain produced two letters from members of the French court. The ambassador and George II, the king of England, believed in the authenticity of the letters. To them, it was proof that the count was, in fact, there by order of King Louis. Saint-Germain's first diplomatic mission was on its way, but unfortunately, there were a few critical missteps. At some point, the official French ambassador got wind of the Count's real mission, and he was not happy about it. He immediately wrote to the Duke of Choiseul, the French foreign minister, and informed him of the foreigner inserting himself into French politics. The Duke had encountered Saint-Germain before and was not a fan. According to some sources, he believed the Count was a secret agent for the Prussian King, Frederick the Great. Others say the Duke simply wanted to continue the war for his benefit. Whatever the case, he was decidedly against anything being negotiated outside any official channels he had control over. So the Duke instructed the French ambassador to start the legal process to have Saint-Germain extradited from Holland. From there, the Count would be taken in chains back to France, 
where he'd be thrown in the Bastille prison for falsely claiming authority in French diplomatic negotiations. While the ambassador worked on the extradition, the Duke of Choiseul went one step further and asked King Louis point-blank if he had sent Saint-Germain to Holland to undermine the official ambassador. The king denied his involvement and even backed the Duke's decision to arrest Saint-Germain. While the French ambassador awaited Holland's approval to arrest Saint-Germain, the Count was warned about his impending capture. By the time the authorities sent officers to arrest him, he was already halfway to England. Uh, The Count's troubles didn't end there. England was aware of the political tug of war and the Duke of Choiseul's feelings toward Germain. Naturally, they were nervous to have the Count inside their borders, so when he arrived in the country, he was immediately taken into custody. He was deported shortly after to not further endanger peace talks between England and France. The Count needed to lay low following his international scandal. He returned to Holland and started going by a different name to avoid extradition. He chose the moniker Count Sermont and got right back to business trying to convince people to invest in a business, Dying Fabrics. This time, he managed to persuade a Count named Kobenzel and an Austrian businesswoman known as Natine to go into business with him. Natine provided the funding required by factories to be able to implement Saint-Germain's dyeing methods. Meanwhile, Kobenzel used his connections to try to get the Queen of Austria to invest. However, one of the Queen's advisors insisted upon seeing samples of the dyed items and found them to be of inferior quality. With royal funding out of the question, they attempted to get a loan, but the bank demanded Saint-Germain first prove he was financially able to cover it. That's when the dominoes started falling. Despite talking a big game, the bank found that Saint-Germain was cash poor and in great debt. They refused the loan. Understandably, this news about the Count's finances made his new business partners wary. Sensing a change in the tide, Saint-Germain decided it was time to jump ship. He pocketed nearly 100,000 Dutch guldens of Natine's investment money, a small fortune at the time. He then fled the country in 1763, leaving Natine to foot the rest of the bill for the factories. That means Saint-Germain fled three countries in three years. And if you thought the Count would slink off and live a quiet life somewhere after this, you're wrong. What he did was set his sights on a new frontier, Russia. Coming up, Saint-Germain's life comes to an end. Or does it? Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, back to the story. By the mid-18th century, the Count of Saint-Germain had earned quite a reputation across Europe. In 1760, he narrowly escaped imprisonment after interfering with peace talks between France and England. Shortly after that, he'd started a textile business in Holland under the moniker Count Sermon and skipped out on the bill when things turned sideways. By this point, it's possible the Count felt he'd burned one too many bridges in Western Europe. He needed to lay low, so he set his sights elsewhere and headed toward Russia. From around 1763 to 1774, we don't have a lot of reliable information about the Count. That doesn't mean sources didn't leave behind a few titillating details to pique our curiosity. So again, let's go over what we do know. We know that Saint-Germain spent a considerable amount of time in Russia, where he continued to make friends in high places. At some point, he befriended the renowned Alexei Orlov, who helped dethrone Peter III and install Catherine the Great as Empress of Russia. This has led some to speculate that Saint-Germain played a part in the famed coup d'etat, but there is little factual evidence to back that up. Another thing we know, Saint-Germain earned the title of military general in Russia, after which he started going by the name of General Well Done, a more comedic name than his others, at least if you speak English. Most of the other things written about Saint-Germain during this time amount to little more than rumors. Starting in the late 1760s, people claim to have spotted him throughout Italy, in Mantua, Venice, Pisa, and Livorno. There were even rumors that he spent time in Beijing, where he went by no name at all. According to Count Maximilian Joseph Lamberg, when authorities asked Saint-Germain to identify himself, he simply said he didn't know his name. He told them that in Rome they called him Monsignor, in Venice they called him What's It To Do With You, and in Naples they just whistled at him. The Count shows back up in the history books around 1774 in Germany. Around this time, scholars note people stopped talking about the Count's wealth. He'd also allegedly taken to dressing much more plainly. His clothes were no longer adorned with diamonds. And that's not all. Though immortality rumors were still going strong, 
the Count's age appeared to be catching up to him. He was approximately 64 and looked worse for the wear. In his twilight years, some thought Saint-Germain was in pursuit of a place to rest instead of more adventures. In the early 1770s, Saint-Germain returned to Western Europe on the hunt for another wealthy patron. He made inroads with the Margrave of Brandenburg, who was impressed by his apparent relationship with Alexei Orlov. Orlov, a notoriously stuck-up man, saw the Count dressed in his Russian general's uniform and embraced him. He even declared that Saint-Germain played a great part in our revolution. This encounter reassured Margrave, who allowed Saint-Germain to move into his castle at Triesdorf. Under the Margrave's patronage, the Count was able to continue his alchemy experiments. During this time, the Count treated the young Margrave like a pupil. He taught him about alchemy and impressed him with stories of his travels. He showed him letters addressed to him from people like Frederick the Great, though he refused to let the curious Margrave read their contents. Their friendship lasted until the Margrave caught Saint-Germain in a lie. The Count had told his new patron that he was a Transylvanian prince in hiding, In 1776, the Margrave found evidence that this wasn't true and kicked the Count to the curb. From here, records suggest Saint-Germain bounced around. In October of 1776, he went to Leipzig, Germany, where he tried to work his way up the German court. Unfortunately, this one didn't prove as favorable as the French one, and Saint-Germain left with a bitter taste in his mouth. Afterward, Saint-Germain went to Dresden. There, he offered his services to Frederick the Great, who politely declined. Some sources claim that Saint-Germain tried to convince a German nobleman who belonged to the Freemasons that he was a Mason of the fourth grade. But the nobleman saw right through that ruse when Saint-Germain claimed to have forgotten all the secret Masonic signs. By now, Saint-Germain had been on a multi-year hunt for a long-term patron to offer him lodging and financial support. He had been traveling without servants or the trappings of wealth he was known for in his younger years. So when he arrived in Schleswig in 1779 and met Prince Charles of Hesse Castle, He was determined to make it work. Sources suggest that when they first met, Saint-Germain practically forced his friendship upon the prince. His charm and persistence eventually won the reluctant royal over. The Count is said to have lived with Prince Charles for around five years. When he was in his early 70s, he reportedly began to suffer periods of deep depression. He also developed rheumatism due to the damp living conditions inside the German castle. The prince hired a retinue of women to care for the count. They attended to him religiously, doting on his every whim. But it wasn't enough to pull Saint-Germain from his downward spiral. According to the prince, in Saint-Germain's last months, he'd nearly lost his mind and was plagued by regret and an all-consuming fear of death. As his condition worsened, those around him pushed him to reveal his true ancestry. But the Count refused to give up his secret. 
finally, on February 27, 1784, while the prince was traveling, the Count of Saint-Germain is said to have passed away in the arms of maidservants. Sources say he was buried at the St. Nicholas Church in Leipzig three days later, though the exact location of his grave has been lost to time. The prince was devastated by the loss of Saint-Germain. Perhaps the respect he felt toward his teacher is what led him to safeguard the mysterious man's secrets even after his death. Because though he inherited all of the Count's papers and correspondences, the prince never seemed to share them with anyone. Thus, any clues amidst the Count's possessions that may have hinted at his identity or abilities have been lost to time. For most people, the story of their lives ends with their death. But the same is not true of Saint-Germain. Word of his death spread across Europe, prompting many to mourn the enigmatic man. Even now, centuries after his passing, people still claim to encounter him all across the globe. He's even inspired several secret societies and religions. The Count of Saint-Germain casts a long historical shadow, which is what we'll dive into in our next episode. For Conspiracy Theory Number 1, we'll explore the various hypotheses about who the Count of Saint-Germain was. Was he the illegitimate son of Spanish royalty or a lost heir of Transylvanian nobility? For Conspiracy Theory Number 2, we'll dive into some of the rumors that plagued the Count during his lifetime. More closely, the one that claimed he'd found the eternal fountain of youth. Then we'll talk through his many reported sightings decades after his supposed passing. Finally, we'll round out our discussion by examining claims people made after the Count's death. Perhaps he was a wise, ageless man guiding humankind. At least, some think he was. Whatever you believe about the Count of Saint-Germain, one thing is undeniable. The man loved a good mystery. He built an aura of mystique around himself, then took the secret of his ancestry to his grave. So, while we'll do our best to answer as many questions about Saint-Germain in the next episode, there are some things we just can't explain, things nobody can explain. And the Count of Saint-Germain wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on the Count of Saint-Germain, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Myth of the Magus by E.M. Butler and the translated work of The Count of Saint-Germain by Gustav Berthold Voltz to be extremely helpful to our research. We're here on Mondays and Wednesdays with all new episodes. Until next time, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. 
Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Danny Messerschmidt, edited by Wendelin Sobrozo and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Brian Petrus, produced by Josh Kern, with sound design by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. Thank you.